Welcome to the I Work For Him Power Pod. I'm Michael Miracle, producer for I Work For Him, the voice of the faith and work movement. We are on mission to transform the workplace of every Christian into a mission field. Each quick listening power pod is designed with you in mind and jam-packed with kingdom resources to help you connect your faith and work. How will this impact your workplace? Let's find out right now. Jesus said he came to set the captives free. And those are the people we work alongside each and every day. That's why it's so important that we get this message, that we understand that our faith impacts our work, that our workplace is a mission field, and that you and me, we may be the only Jesus our coworkers and employees may ever meet. Many of you may remember, but I thought it would be worthy of a great reminder today. Our guest today, Oz Hillman, through his faithfulness to the call in his life, led to the transformation of my life. You see, back in the mid-2000s, Oz was sending out daily emails called Today, God is First, TGIF, to over 250,000 people. One of those people, my good friend Bob Cater, right out of Cumming, Georgia, the very friend who gave me the book Halftime, he introduced me to TGIF, and it transformed my thinking and shifted my paradigm permanently so that I would recognize that my workplace is my mission field and also a place of ministry. This TGIF email, which is still available today, you can subscribe today, led Martha and me, on the way to being right here on iWorkFrame Radio. I can't wait for you to hear from one of my mentors and now my friend, Oz Hillman of Marketplace Leaders and the Change Agent Network. Oz, welcome back to I Work For Him. I want people to hear from you, Oz Hillman, about how the Lord led you to become so passionate about the integration of our faith and our work. Well, Jim, I uh, had been a Christian a number of years. I came to Christ when I was about 22 years old. And I ultimately ended up in business owning an ad agency called the Aslan Group. Of course, uh, the Aslan represents Aslan and the Chronicles of Narnia. And already at that point in the early 80s, we were wanting to represent Christ in how we did our work. But I went through a crisis in 1994 that kind of took me uh, really much deeper into this message. And uh, it was due to the crisis that lasted seven years that I began to really study the scriptures and see that so many of us, you know, um, separate our faith life from our work life. And I began to see the Bible through that lens that God uh, wants to help us experience him in the everyday aspect of our working life. And so I just began writing about it, writing a daily devotional about it. And people uh, really resonated with it. They they kept emailing me and saying, you read my mail today right where I'm at. And so I was helping them understand, you know, in my journey of adversity as well as the concept of integrating my faith life with my work life. You started laying the groundwork for the faith and work movement within the faith and work movement over 25 years ago. And as you compare to where our country was 25 years ago to where it is today, in the understanding, so obviously we're talking about Christ followers, in their understanding of connecting faith and work, what, what's the biggest encouragement to you as you compare 25 years ago to today? Well, there's much more awareness for sure. There's been hundreds of books written on the topic. I mean, the, the, you know, when I first started out, I'd go into a bookstore and I'd look for some type of book on faith and work. I couldn't find any. And so uh, I uh, ended up starting my own online bookstore called TGIFbookstore.com, and I started identifying those books out there 
that were addressing this topic and was putting them on our website. But today, literally, there are, you know, hundreds and hundreds of books on this topic. The other thing, there's a lot of conferences that have been going on, and there's even an organization that's geared for pastors, uh, helping those pastors understand better how to equip the church in the workplace, as we like to call it. You know, the, we like to say there's two churches, one in the inside the four walls of the weekly congregation, but then there's a much bigger one out there in the workplace, the ecclesia, um, that where two or three are gathered, they form a church, and so it's the church in the workplace. Well, and have you seen pastors come alongside? Because I, I know that one of the reasons the pastors have struggled is they weren't taught this in seminary either. I mean, this was something that was really a whole new idea, the whole equipping of the saints for outside of the four walls of the church. That was something that was a new idea because that's not what they were taught. They were taught to equip people to do ministry within the four walls of the church. Do you see pastors really starting to grasp this as well? And I know you were referring to Made to Flourish, which we've re- we've referred to many times on the air, uh-huh. madetoflourish.org, great organization. How do you see pastors grasping onto this today? I see it as pockets. I don't see it broadly accepted today. I see pockets of uh, churches that that gravitate toward. These are kind of the early adopters, um, but I still th- I still think we have a long way to go to help that uh, to be part of the DNA of the local church because I I really think that's what's important. That if pastors really understood the influence they could have by relating to men and women in the workplace as having a calling on their life to the workplace, it would change everything in the context of the local church and how they equip them. The Change Agent Network is so ripe with fantastic resources for people that are learning how to connect their faith and their work, and so much from heart knowledge of you but other people that you've shared. But talk about what does it mean to be a change agent? Well, a change agent is anyone who is a catalyst for change, and that could be for good or bad, you know. Saddam Hussein was a change agent for evil. Hitler was a change agent for evil. Mother Teresa was a change agent for good. And Jesus was our greatest change agent for good. And so, you know, I believe that many of us uh, are not living the larger story of our, of our lives. In other words, we, we settle for less. And I believe that God wants to use us in much greater ways. Uh, I, re- I recall the story of Gideon where God came to Gideon and said, Almighty oh, warrior. And, uh, but he was hardly a warrior at the time. He was hiding behind a fence and impugning the nature of God because he didn't think God was, was helping them enough. And, uh, but God was looking at him in the context of what his future was going to become, not where he'd been, not where he was at the current time. And so often I find that many of us see ourselves uh, much smaller, uh, so, so, so much smaller than how God sees us for our future. It's always amazing to me how I run into people, uh, you know, in the public square who are reading this devotional. A few years ago I was in the airport, in the Atlanta airport, and uh, I met the chaplain of the Atlanta airport, and uh, he saw me over at the ticket counter, came over and said hello to me, and and uh, he started telling me about how much the devotional had meant in his life and how it was helping him in his own counseling ministry there at the airport. So he, we, we say our goodbyes, and then I turn to the, 
the ticket agent, she looks at me and says, and I read you every day as well. As right before the break, we we're talking about the seven cultural mountains of influence. And really, that's what change agents are. They're, they're people that are recognizing their calling, their place within those seven cultural influence places. Talk about what those, what is that all about, the seven cultural mountains of influence? Well, in 1975, Bill Bright and Lauren Cunningham met for the very first time, and they were heads of some ministries to young people. But uh, strangely, the week they met each other, God spoke to them individually and said, you know, if we're going to influence the world, it's going to have to be through these seven areas that have the most influence in people's lives, business, government, media, arts and entertainment, family, religion, and education. These are the areas that many people form their views, their worldview, and uh, can steer them in either good or bad directions. And so uh, we really need to have more young people raised up to go into these areas and have greater influence in the world. And we discovered that it only takes 3 to 5% of a leadership at the top of one of these cultural spheres to actually shift that mountain. And so that's an amazing statistic that we have documented and verified through uh, some case studies. You, you mentioned the, the seven categories of business, government, um, medical. Did I, did I write down? I was writing it down so fast. No, media. That was media. Sorry. Sorry. I couldn't read my yeah. writing. Business, business government. government, media, arts and entertainment, family, education, and religion. Is that correct? Right. Okay. Correct. All right. So when you look at each one of our jobs, everybody listening is in one of those spots, correct? For the most part, you can probably discover that, uh, you know, there's subcategories to those areas, but uh, most of the people are going to fall into some of those areas. So how do you, when you try to speak truth into somebody, you try to say, okay, here's here's your job, uh, here's what you're doing, Here's I mean, how do you encourage people to connect their faith to understanding the influence and the position that God has given them right where they're at each and every day, 45 to 50 hours a week? Well, I think we just need to understand that, you know, we need to realize that we are not called to segment our lives. Uh, and there is no sacred secular, and the devil wants us to believe there is. Uh, you know, our good friend, you and I know Doug Spada, who wrote a book called Monday Morning Atheist. Unfortunately, many people go to work Monday acting like a Monday morning atheist because uh, they haven't been trained to really experience God in their work. You know, when God came to Moses at the burning bush, he says, uh, you know, take off your shoes for you're on holy ground. Well, what made that ground holy? It was his workplace as a shepherd out there in the fields, and it was because God's presence was there. And then he began to relate to him around his staff. He says, what's that in your hand? And he says, well, Lord, it's my staff. And he says, I'm going to perform miracles through that staff. I'm going to deliver a people through that staff and perform miracles with it. And so that staff represented his vocation as a shepherd. And so we need to understand that God wants to use uh, our, quote, donkeys. You know, remember when Jesus told the disciples, go untie that donkey, I want to ride him into the city? Well, that donkey represented a commercial item. It was like the pickup truck of their day. He says, I'm going to ride it, and I'm going to use your donkey for my purposes. So we need to give uh, Jesus our donkey. You deal with so many Christ followers in the workplaces all over the country. What is it that you see as a common need? Something that you that you hear from them often that 
boy, I just need this, or I'm experiencing this, I need to know how to do this. I mean, what do you see as the biggest need in getting people to connect their faith in their work, and how does how does being part of Marketplace Leaders Today Got Us First and the Change Agent Network help them get there? Well, I think that many people simply don't believe God cares about their work life, uh, and why should he? I mean, I think that's a lie that the devil has told us. Um, but in Colossians 3, it says, whatever you do, do unto the Lord. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You know, if you think about it, look at the life of Jesus. And God sent his own son on earth and had him work uh, up until age 30 as a carpenter. Now, if I'm God, I'm thinking, well, i got to use him the most I possibly can to evangelize and to preach and to minister but he kept him hidden for 30 years in a carpenter shop. And then when he decided to uh, initiate his ministry at age 30, uh, he went out and recruited 12 guys, just common guys, in the workplace. Uh, There were no rabbis. There were no theologians. They were all everyday people out there in the workplace. And so that should tell us a great deal about the value that God places on work, and that our work is an actual calling. And uh, so much of what Jesus did was in the workplace, you know. Uh, Just consider this, um, Jim, of 132 public appearances in the New Testament, 122 of those were in the marketplace. Of 52 parables Jesus told, 45 had a workplace context. And the 40 divine interventions recorded in Acts 39 we're in the marketplace. So we see that Jesus spent more than 50% of his life there as a carpenter, and uh, he called those 12 out of the workplace. Well, when you look, I mean, most of our life is spent outside the four walls of the church, and that's where it is. It's Not everybody considers themselves, this is something I've been learning in the last five years, not everybody considers themselves part of the marketplace. People in the government sector, teachers, education, they don't consider themselves part of the marketplace, even though they really are. But that's not, they don't consider themselves, but they understand, some of them are starting to get this, that their workplace really is a mission field. And of course, our teachers really know that for sure. So talk to me about, you've, you've got this, Joseph, this book, this book that you wrote years ago was The Upside of Adversity. And then you took it to the next level and did a book on the Joseph Calling and excellent book, just understanding what God, how God took Joseph from a 17 year old who had a vision from God to a 30-year-old running the world power, being second in command of the world power, and how God did that and what he did with that. What is a Joseph calling on somebody's life? Well, Jim, I I discovered in 1995 that I had a Joseph calling uh, through a gentleman from uh, Sweden who Mm -hmm. spoke into my life after going through some years of adversity. And he said, you have a Joseph calling. Uh, you are to be a spiritual and physical provider to others, and you have been known by your adversity. And so uh, Joseph, we all know the story of Joseph because he went through extraordinary adversity. But God used that adversity to actually save a nation from starvation. And so it was a marketplace call, um, but it was through great adversity. And so what I found is that uh, I relate to a lot of people throughout the world because of the adversity I went through. I'm able to relate to their own circumstances and help them see it 
through a different set of lenses. And uh, last year, I wrote a new book called The Joseph Calling, Six Stages to Discover, Navigate, and Fulfill Your Purpose. And so this book helps people understand their adversity. And there's primarily four reasons we all go through adversity. And so it's important for us to understand why we're going through something. But Joseph went through his adversity because of it, a consequence of the call on his life. It wasn't because he was such a bad person or he, he did great sin. He had some pride in his life, but certainly what he went through was not commensurate with, you know, his uh, pride. Sometimes I think we don't understand what the scriptures say about calling and what the process is to get to the largest story of our life. And I found these six stages very, um, very much a part of almost every leader's life. I think also Christ followers struggle with the concept of time, that God is not in a hurry. He, he, you know, he may be busy, but he's never in a hurry. And that's what Jesus demonstrated. He was always busy, but he was never in a hurry. And with, with us in our lives, it seems like it takes a while. I mean, we, you know, God may lay a vision like he did on Joseph's heart at 17, but it wasn't until he was 30 that it actually came to fruition. He laid it on Moses' heart at 40, but he didn't get his, he didn't get the, he didn't get the staff of leadership until he was 80 years old. I mean, all that is preparation time. That's sometimes hard to take though, isn't it, Oz? Well, it is. And, you know, I went through a seven year season that I thought was, took forever. Uh, and then, um, you know, God's taking me through other seasons that have been difficult. And so, you know, I agree, you just not in, seem to be in a hurry. But as they say, he's never late, you know. So that's for sure. Um, just have to trust him uh, to take us through those seasons because, you know, whenever we go through a major adversity, it's really uh, a process of an upgrade with God to the point that he's going to use us. And anything that we uh, successfully navigate and with God, he'll turn that into greater anointing in our life to free others in the same area. Yeah, I mean, he never wastes an experience. That, that's so well said. I want you to share, what do you see as the biggest trends upcoming here in the faith and work movement? As as there are now thousands of ministries that I have seen, I, I don't know, you probably know, you probably know more than I do, of these ministries around the country that are, are discipling and encouraging people to connect their faith in the work, connect what they hear on Sunday with what they do in their nine to five. What do you see as the trends? Where, where's it going next? Well, you know, Jim, uh, I, I'm encouraged by, uh, I run into people that have picked up the message and that have put their own creative spin on how to apply it in their circle of influence. You and I recently met a man who's publishing a magazine called World Changer Magazine. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was so encouraging to hear his story. He's a millennial, and God is using him to cast the vision for the Seven Mountain message to his generation. And so I see myself as playing more of a father role in that situation and helping to connect him to people and uh, just you know, helping him understand some of the things that we fought over the years to be able to help him navigate this. And it was a real encouragement to my heart to see that he was doing that and that he had a whole group behind him in uh, Bend, Oregon, that God was using him for. What would the world look like if Christ followers all realized that their their potential change agent networks, that their work really matters to God. What would our world look like if that happened? 
Oh, you know, I actually did that in my book, Change Agent. I actually, at the end of every uh, chapter on each of the seven cultural mountains, I said, here's what it would look like if we were successful. Uh, And I saw things like a lower crime rate, uh, better economy for the world, uh, more money given to Christian causes, uh, less corruption in the world. Um, Just so many positive things can come out of that when people understand how to bring and experience Christ in their working life. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Just remember each and every day to say it with me. I work for him. Thank you for listening to the I Work For Him Power Pod with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Want more? Hear the full broadcast at iworkforhim.com. Stay connected and receive power pack content when you sign up for our blog at iworkforhim.com or follow us on social media at iworkforhim. And finally, if today's message inspired you, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your review helps launch more workplace missionaries across the nation. That's at iWorkForHim and online, iWorkForHim.com.